We're at the last half of Romans 11 this morning, verses 25 through 36, and I want to jump kind of right, right into things, uh, deal with the pertinent questions here in this chapter. To remind you of the context, Paul is dealing with the Israel question. The chapter, just to, as a whole, to kind of recap what we've studied last week, what we've seen so far, he begins with a question, has God rejected his people? No, he has not, Paul replies. I, myself, as a Hebrew, Paul says, am evidence, is proof that God is preserving a remnant of his people. Verses 1-6. through six. Then he asks the question, has Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? No, verses 7-10. through 10. They have not because the elect of Israel have obtained it, while the rest were hardened. So there is still a remnant, a a present remnant, that has obtained what Israel as a nation was seeking, the righteousness of God. Has Israel stumbled then in order to fall? He asked this question next. The question obviously being something to the respect of, have the Israelites fully and finally rejected the gospel? Or or is that where this is all going? And remember, I I, I emphasized last week, Paul's dealing with this question because that's where the persecution of the church was coming from, predominantly in that day at that time. They were persecuting Christians, the, 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 the Hebrews, the Jewish people. And so it was a very natural question, well, this is the end for them. Gentile conversions are all over the place. Israel's persecuting us. Have they stumbled? And his answer to that is, by no means. Their hardening is all part of God's plan, in verses 11-16. through 16. This is God's sovereign plan working out, Paul says there. We also considered last week... Have the Gentiles replaced Israel? Maybe you've heard the term replacement theology before. Where, in some respect, the idea is kind of akin to has Israel stumbled so that they may fall? Have the Gentiles replaced Israel in the plan and purposes of God? Well, the answer to that also is no. Paul says that they've been grafted into Israel the olive tree, and together we all make up the people of God. Verses 17 through 24, we are guests in Israel's house, as it were. Maybe not guests in, this, in the full sense of that term, but in the sense of like, they have the tradition, they have the history, they have all of the patriarchs and the worship, and we have been grafted into what was originally revealed and given to them. So that leads us to the big question today. Uh, What has made this chapter so controversial? What has made this chapter so hard to understand? Um, I mentioned many times last week that that really, really good men differ on this particular question of this chapter. Um, I could list, you know, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, John Calvin... I mean, they all have three different views on this chapter, and the list just goes on. You poll, you know, 10 or 15 
um, um, theologians, and typically you'll probably find eight to ten different answers, if not 14 or 15. It's a difficult chapter, it's a difficult question. But the question is, what does it mean when Paul says here in the conclusion that all Israel will be saved? That's the question. And admittedly, it is much bigger than this chapter. It's much bigger than than what we can answer today. Because it does really get into eschatology, the interpretation of the Old Testament promises, the interpretation of the book of Revelation, which, of course, is extremely difficult as well. It's a, big, it's, a big, it's a big issue. We can't deal with it in two Sunday school lessons. Um, but I'm going to try to deal with it in the context today. What does it mean, what is Paul's point, that all Israel will be saved? So let's, uh, let's read this last section here almost the last section, verses 25 through 32. And, and, and as I said last week, this is going to be real didactic. I, I really am going to go phrase by phrase to try to just break down each phrase so that we can hopefully make sense of the whole. Romans eleven twenty five, picking up where we left off last week. Lest you be wise in your own sight... I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy." For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Um, First thing here, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. How are we to understand the idea of mystery in the New Testament? What's a mystery? Excuse me? Something not revealed. Something obscure. Very good. Turn to the end of the book, if you have a Bible, and look at Romans 16, 25. The concluding doxology of the book. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been known to all nations according to the commandment 
of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Mystery. This is a mystery, the revelation of a mystery that was kept secret, but has now been disclosed. When we tackle the idea of mystery in the New Testament, almost without exception when the Apostle Paul uses this term, it refers to something that has been previously concealed, but has now been revealed in the Gospel. Um, I really emphasize this when I preach through Ephesians a year, year and a half ago, because Paul uses mystery several times in that book, And each and every time, he's not saying this is something esoteric, something special that Gnostic, you know, only certain people can figure out. This is not something unknown, not something that you have to, you know, search high and low for. He's saying mystery is the gospel that is obscured in the Old Testament, but now revealed in the New Testament. So what I want to point out in this respect, this is how Paul starts this section. Don't be unaware of this mystery. Not something that's incredibly difficult for you to figure out, but something that was obscured in the Old Testament. When we look at the promises of God, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's not something that that is mysterious, something that needs to be discerned about Israel. He's saying, in light of the revelation of the Gospel, God's purposes for Israel, which were obscure in the Old Testament, can now be understood. In other words, this chapter is, yes, it's difficult. The statement, all Israel uh, uh, will be saved, is, is difficult. But it's not a mystery. The purpose, God's purpose for Israel that has now been revealed is that a partial hardening has come upon them until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So, I begin with that. Just, just you know, don't think that he's purposely being obscure here. He's saying what I'm about to tell you was obscured in the Old Testament has now been revealed. And this is what it is. Israel's been partially hardened so that the Gentiles will come in. And this is the way in which all Israel will be saved. So let's break this down. Kind of phrase by phrase. A partial hardening. Um, Remember that Israelites are still being saved. Verse 1. Remember that there is, even at this present time, a remnant still being saved, verse 5. Remember that the elect among Israel are being saved, but the rest are hardened, verse 8. A partial hardening is now upon Israel, but Israelites are still being saved. Until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Um, Gentiles, if we were to really get at the root of what it means, it just means nations, ethnicities. 
It doesn't have a specific nation in view. We're Gentiles, I assume. Most of us, all of us are Gentiles, non-Jewish ethnicity. Have no um, ethnic connection to Abraham. Until the fullness of the nations have come in. And this parallels, um, uh, if you look back at, at verse 12, it parallels, I'm going to come back to this, how Paul uses full inclusion to refer to the, uh, to the, to the Israelites. The full inclusion of Israel. So my point in this is that it refers not to every single Gentile, nor even to a mass Gentile conversion, but rather to the full company of the elect Gentiles. Again, I'm going to come back to this. You can see where I'm going. Paul's point, the fullness of the Gentiles. All the Gentiles. Another way we would be saying it is, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. In this way, all the Gentiles shall be saved. That would be another way of saying it. Not every single Gentile. Not some final last day mass Gentile conversion, but the full company of the elect. <laughs> you see where I'm going. Okay. Let's get to the key question then. In this way, all Israel will be saved. Um, this is, I'm going to ask you now, the wrong answers are okay. What does all Israel refer to? What are some options? If I were to say all of Israel, what would be some options for how we define that? Every Jew. Um, all time? Every Jew, every, every Israelite who has ever lived would be all of Israel, right, Cameron? Say that again? All of God's elect. All of God's elect. So, the Israel of God? It's another option. Kind of like what Karen said? The geography. You mean uh, like the nation? So maybe the nation that's present right now? Or the nation that's present at a future time? Another option? Kim? All Israel that will be saved will be saved. All elect Israel? Is that what you're saying? All of the Israelites, the ethnic Israelites who are elect? Sure. I'm asking you. Yeah. It sounded like what you were saying. I'm trying to throw you a bone, Kim. Israel is that, is Israel all of God's elect? Are we talking? Okay, that's what Cameron said. Yeah, I don't know whether it's referring to ethnicities or not. Okay. That's controversial. <laughs> so it can refer to all Israelites of all time. Every ethnic 
descent, uh, descendant of Abraham. It can refer to the nation of Israel as a whole, but maybe not necessarily every single individual member. It could refer to all of Israel of a future generation. Um, here I've got premillennialism in mind. A thousand years of peace on the earth. God, Jesus comes down and reigns, reigns from Jerusalem, like modern day physical Jerusalem. And all of that generation is going to be saved. Not, you know, either every single member or, or maybe the majority. Or it could mean all elect Israel. All of the elect who are descendants of Abraham. Or it could mean all of the elect, Jew and Gentile, together. The Israel of God. As Paul references Galatians 6.16, the Israel of God, he says that in reference to the church. Um, I want you, I put all these here because these are all positions that you will find arguments for. Uh, possibly the exception of the first one, all Israel of all time. That's pretty hard, that's pretty hard to defend since, since Paul has already made the point that many of them are lost. But with the exception of the first one, two, three, four, and five, um, you will find conservative, reformed, Theologians arguing very strongly for two, three, four, and five. Yes. Yeah. It's a figure of speech. Yep. You do this to me all the time. You don't do it all the time without exception, but, you know, it's a figure of speech to say this happens a lot or this is a great majority or this is the norm. Not rarely in Scripture, actually, does the word all mean every single without exception. Rarely, because even rarely in our figure of speech does all always mean all. Kim? Yes. That's what I'm going to argue. We're going to get to that. I just want you to know the options. Um, I just want you to know the options. And, and again, just, okay, R.C. Sproul, for example, has written a lot on this subject. Um, he believes that all Israel refers to a great mass conversion right before the second coming of Christ. So all is a figure of speech to refer to a great revival among the Jewish people before the very end. And that's what Paul is talking about. Um, another a great book on the subject, The Israel of God, um, by O. Palmer Robertson. It's one of the best on the subject. Um, I agree with everything in the book, really, except for his conclusion, which is um, number five here. That it's referring to all the elect. 
Jew and Gentile together. This is John Calvin's view. Um, I can't get there exegetically. I can't see how Paul talks about Israel according to the flesh and then switches to Israel according to the Spirit without telling us that he's doing that. But it is the best defense of that position that I've read. I would recommend it to you. I would say probably most Reformed theologians hold that. Or maybe the majority, maybe not most of them. The majority. I'm going to argue number four. It refers to all the elect Israel. And I'm going to give you four reasons why. Kim so eloquently responded with that. All, everyone that's going to be saved, it's an Israelite. At least I thought that's what you were saying. (laughs) Four reasons why Paul is saying this is all of elect Israel. Uh, First one, pretty broad, pretty easy. The thesis of Romans is God's global plan of redemption. Is that really an answer? Well, I think it is. Um, Romans 1.16, the thesis of the epistle. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. In chapters 9-11, through 11, Paul has been tracing how this gospel spreads. How it is accomplishing this. Remember, the gospel is the power of God. This is God's power for saving and accomplishing His purposes. And in Romans 9-11, through 11, he, he goes through the sovereignty of God, but also think of Romans 10. Like, they need to hear. Someone needs to preach. Someone needs to send so that they can preach, so that they can hear, so that they can believe, so that they can be saved. He's talking about how this gospel saves. How it works. So, you'll, you'll see this when I get to the conclusion. But he is describing in Romans 11 how Jews and Gentiles are presently being saved. That's his point. As part of God's global plan. In this way, all Israel will be saved. Secondly, Paul's focus is entirely on the present throughout this entire chapter. God saved me right now, an Israelite. That's why he hasn't rejected his people At this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, verse 5. Verse 11, the elect of Israel have obtained this salvation right now. Verse 11, God is presently making Israel jealous right now. Verse 23, they are presently being grafted in. And verse 30 and 31, which I'm going to come back to, You were at one time disobedient, so that now you've received mercy. They too have been disobedient in order that they also may now receive mercy. The emphasis on now. This is happening right now. Now, I... I, I, Now. I say this because I, I can't get... I cannot get in this context where he jumps to the future. I realize it's a, it's a valid argument. Okay, all of Israel will be saved. He has talked about how they can be grafted in again. He does seem to imply that there's a, a restoration that's future. I mean, it's not like the future is entirely out of the equation in his argument. But I don't see how he jumps to the end of the age. 
It's not relevant to the epistle. It's not relevant to his argument right here. Oh, God loves Israel because one day they're all going to be converted. It's thousands of years from now. That's not his point. And and this gets back to um, uh, the main point of the chapter. For those of you who were here last week, who wants to take a chance and tell me, what's the main point of the chapter? Application-wise, do you remember? Warning against pride. Yes. He writes to foster humility, to heal Jew and Gentile relations, and to encourage Jewish evangelism right then, not some sort of future evangelism. So all of this together... He's not giving a treatise on the end times. He's focusing on truth that is to change their behavior today, right now, in their church and even in our church. So again, this is if to me I find it difficult that all Israel shall be saved refers to something that's thousands of years down the road because even now if, we, if it refers to a mass Jewish revival or the saving of the nation, it's not happening even now. It hasn't happened since Paul wrote this. How relevant is it for us, for him to jump to that argument? Say, don't worry, one day it's all going to change. One day. I don't think that's his point. Thirdly, he's talking about individuals and not nations. This is so easy to miss. When he refers to a Gentile, he's not talking about a particular nation. He's not talking about America. (laughs) Hate to break it to you, you Christian nationalists. (laughs) He's not talking about America. He's talking about Branches, individual branches that have been broken off and grafted in by faith. He's talking about verse 1, a descendant of Abraham. He's not talking about Israel as a nation state. It's individual members of this ethnic line who will be saved. And this, again, is an important point, because if, we were, if he were to say, in this way, all Gentiles will be saved, we would automatically know from the rest of Scripture that he's not talking about every single member, that he's not talking about a nation, that he's not talking about even a mass conversion. But for some reason, when we think Israel, we we run back to the Old Testament as this theocratic nation in a particular plot of land with a standing army, right? And and all of the the structure of of, of a theocratic society. He's just talking about an individual ethnicity. So that's the reason why I believe he's talking about the elect within Israel. Fourthly, though, most importantly, as 
Kim, again, so eloquently pointed out. You're going you're gonna to gold star today, brother. He's paying attention in class. Paul says, in this way, in this way all Israel will be saved. In this way conveys the idea of, of manner. This is the manner in which Israel will be saved. This is the way. This is how it's going to happen. And, and this goes back to the global plan of the gospel. This goes back to Paul's pre, uh, emphasis on the present in this chapter. The manner in which all Israel will be saved is not a future manner. It's a present manner. It's a present reality. Present and ongoing. So read, will be saved, will be, not talking about future, but what would be the term? Active and present and future all together. And this comes out in, in what I would say and argue very strongly is the thesis of the chapter. If anyone runs to Romans 11 and tries to say this or that, don't listen to them unless they can explain verses 30 through 32, because that is the thesis of the entire chapter. It's his conclusion, it's his point, it tells us what he means. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. This is the conclusion right here. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He might have mercy on all. Let me explain it. The gospel went to the Jews first. We talked about this last week. We see it in the book of Acts. Pentecost happens at Jerusalem. The apostles, they run to the synagogues. They start preaching Christ. God hardened Israel, though. They refused to believe. What did the apostles do? What do we do now? The Jews won't accept our message. Let's go to the Gentiles. Wow, when we preach this gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on Gentiles. They start speaking in tongues. They start, start praising God in their own language. Oh, oh my goodness, this... The, the, apparently, unbeknownst to them, God granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. God hardened the Jews so that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. So it would spread. So that the apostles and the ministers of the gospel would not just think that the gospel was for the Jew only. If the Jews hadn't rejected the message, they might have never taken it to the other parts of the world. The Gentiles received the gospel, which makes Jews jealous. And individually, they are grafted back in. They also receive salvation. And this is the manner, this back and forth, back and forth, the manner in which God accomplishes His global plan of salvation. And that comes out in this summary. He is consigned all to obedience that He might have mercy on all. Israel is humbled 
Because they have largely rejected their Messiah and pushed God to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are humbled because our roots, what, are, what were our forefathers doing a few thousand years ago? Worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars. Our roots are pagan. Our faith is entirely based upon and supported by what God revealed and did through Israel. That ought to be humbling to us. Because generally speaking, people follow the, the, the religion of their ancestors. Israel is to be humbled and jealous so as to receive the salvation that the Gentiles enjoy. The Gentiles are to be humbled and to beloved Israel for the sake of their forefathers and thus take the gospel to them. This is the manner in which all elect Israel will be saved and it is the manner in which, verse 12, the full inclusion of the Gentiles will be accomplished. Sorry, no, not verse 12. Verse 25. And really, verse 11 through 16 there is God's sovereign plan that's pushing this along all the way. God's using the sin of both groups to accomplish the salvation of both groups. And in this way, this manner is how all the people of God are saved. Now, when I say all this, perhaps now you understand why Paul ends with a doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments How inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to God. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Paul breaks out in this wonderful just uh, uh, um, expression of praise because of God's sovereign plan. Because of what he's doing. Because how Gentile pagan roots and the hardening of Israel is the way in which he's chosen to accomplish his purposes, which is so far beyond our wisdom. How we would think things should work. Or how we would try to discern his ways. And he, and he pulls from Job 41 and praises God for the grandeur of his wisdom and plan. It's so far beyond us. I think the doxology is important to understanding the chapter. Again, in this way, Paul describing the manner, and it's just so profound. Hardening Israel, humbling Gentiles, and in this way, accomplishing his redemption. So, in conclusion, I have a a few responses that we how we should respond. But before I wrap up with application, um, do you have any questions? Mark. I can see where it's confusing the fact 
Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. into that yes you're right uh that that have you know uh, god has assigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all yeah you're, you're exactly right in the sense that uh, again he changes the use of all even within that context and um we need to be careful when we interpret those phrases i mean even off the top of my head i can think of um the whole world lies under this way the, the wicked one the, the whole um, if I remember correctly from the original language, it's the same word, all. All the world lies under the, the sway of the, the wicked one, uh, John says um, in First John. Certainly does not mean that, you know, the church lies under the sway of the wicked one. He's speaking in generalities, you know. The Pharisees say of Jesus, um, all the world has gone after him. It doesn't mean that every single person without exception, it's just a way of speaking. And, and even in this context, it's hard Yeah. 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 It's a great point. Other questions? You guys are just so passively accepting what I have to say. Doug. So would you say it's all without distinction and not all without exception? Yes. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. All without distinction. Not all without exception. I mean, oftentimes in Scripture. Particularly when speaking of, of salvation. Um, that, is, that is in view. All without distinction, not all without exception. It's a good clarification to make. Michelle? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... That whosoever believe on him should not perish but have eternal life. I can quote that. Sorry. What's, what's the question? That is what, uh, yeah, that, that is uh, uh, where I would um, agree with Doug. I think Doug, Doug's point is important. John's point is God so loved the world without, without distinction, and the world there, he's, he's appealing to Jew and Gentile, the entire, the entire world. Um, it's his love for the entire world that, that um, uh, 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 led, led our God to, to send Jesus Christ for us and our salvation. It would also be the point in 1 John as well when he says that um, he's a propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Um, again, the point is global without distinction. If, if Christ is a propitiation for the sins of every single person without exception, then that's universalism. Propitiation means the satisfaction of God's wrath. How should we respond? Sorry, Madison. Yeah, 
Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that's a good question. Um, because in the Old Testament, God's purposes did center only on Israel. It was for a temporary point of time so that to lay the groundwork and accomplish his plan of redemption. Um, which is why it's kind of emphasized in the New Testament, hey, the Gentiles were always God's plan all along, but there had to be steps taken in order to, to, to establish um, um, the arena and, of course, the bloodline for Christ to come and accomplish that redemption. So, yeah, in the Old Testament, God's purposes did center on Israel. He never evangelized the nations. Well, rarely. Uh, Jonah would be an exception, right? Rarely did he evangelize or save the nations, but in the New Testament, um, um, with, with the advent of the Messiah, um, that, that's changed. So that, that's not an easy question to answer, but it's, again, going back to the grand purposes of God, Old Testament and New Testament. How shall we respond? A couple things in three minutes in conclusion. First and foremost, with praise, adoration, and humility. It is meant to produce humility in us. We do not deserve the mercy that He has shown us. We have pagan roots. We are supported by Israel. That should humble us. And if we are an Israelite, by and large, Israelites have um, rejected their Messiah. Here, I think it corrects the thinking that, you know, we can fall into the error of thinking that some people are beyond the reach of God's grace or that some people God has given up on them. You know, ultimately, this, it could be forms of racism. It could be forms of, of pride and self-righteousness. And, and this chapter should guard us against such. And we combat that by, by praying for humility and, and, you know, fear and tremble, as Paul says, like, the, the, note the kindness and the severity of God. 22, note the kindness and severity of God. Those things are to be held in tension. God is severe. We must not forget that. How should we respond? Not by looking into the future, but focusing on the present. At least in regards to God's purposes and salvation. So that we are living and evangelizing in a way as to make the Jews spiritually jealous. Or not just the Jews, but, but any other ethnicity as well. Even in the face of persecution, which is a reality to the, Romans and, and to the Roman church. Do we still seek the salvation of the Jews and the other ethnicities, even those who persecute us? That's an application of this chapter. But ultimately, it's about standing in awe of God's wisdom and plan, being humbled at the fact that we who do not deserve mercy have been shown mercy, and to live and evangelize and love in a way so as God's purposes and salvation can be uh, accomplished through us. All right, we got to wrap up. Next week, we'll look at Romans 12. Um, if you have further questions on the chapter, just come up and talk to me. We have 10 minutes before worship, so let me go ahead and close us in prayer. Let's pray.